It is Locked On Jazz for the 27th of December, live from San Francisco. The Jazz defense completely leaves the building in San Antonio, and the ball movement is slowed down. Who are the Utah Jazz? Losses to San Antonio, Houston, and Detroit, and a winning record against above 500 teams. What to make of this team? We try to do that today. Plus, Late game finishes, Rudy Gobert does not finish in Minnesota last night. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. It is a kind of midday edition of the show, so we decided to go live, so hopefully a few people have jumped on and will join the chat room, but I've got a regularly scheduled show for you as well. Thank you so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free. We are available on all podcasting apps, and glad to be with you on YouTube as well today where we are live and the chat room is hopefully going to get up and rolling. Jazz fall in San Antonio last night, and it's interesting. We did a show the other day about, like, the rudderless feeling as a fan base of, like, where are we? Um, I think last night kind of adds to that, doesn't it? Like, you've now lost to San Antonio, Detroit, and Houston, and at the same time swept New Orleans, played some of the best teams in the league, won, and it makes, I think, gives a little bit of a confusion of kind of who we are as a team, where we are, what we're doing, um, and, and and how good we are. Last night, honestly, we weren't very good. And on other nights, we've been just spectacular. And maybe <clears throat> some of it is a make-or-miss league, okay? There's an element to that last night. We shot probably five percentage points uh, according to QSI rating, which is a second spectrum number, we re- uh, ended up five percentage points uh, below where we should have been. Spurs ended up on the other end seven point percentage points above, and actually our shot quality of the two teams were almost the exact same last night. Like, our sh- despite the fact that the Spurs took an incredible amount of shots in the restricted area last night at the rim and just penetrated and got to the rim and got to the rim and got to the rim, the shot quality of the two teams last night was actually the exact same, and the overall shooting was 12 percentage points different. So there's a little bit more statistically to last night as a make-or-miss league than, frankly, I thought while the game was going on. I, I still don't feel like we played very well last night. The Spurs got dribble penetration incessantly. Um, I didn't think the ball moved on our part the way it has at other points during the season. Uh, I think our ball movement has declined. Our potential assists have declined. And we're not doing some of the things that we used to. Last night <clears throat> was one of our lowest, again, one of our lowest passing nights of the year. Uh, 264 passes. We started the year over 300 passes a night. Passes, we've talked about this. Passes do not equate to good offense. That's not; Those are not correlated. Yet, at the same time, for us, what is clear, I think, and maybe the, the way to say it, is something is considerably different than the way we're playing prior. And we'll dig into that in a second. But let's start with the defensive end. 
you know, everybody gets upset when somebody has a career high. I, I, whatever reason, when someone has a career high against a team, it's it, it feels like it's it's an affront to the fans a little bit. Um, and I think that's you know, for whatever reason, um, I'm much more. Bi- I don't mind if Luca goes and adds fifty. Um, Malachi Branham last night <clears throat> having a career high with ease is a more troublesome outing for me than there is um, than it would be otherwise, because he was just penetrating, getting in the lane with without a lot of difficulty last night. The Spurs shooting last night and and their shot chart. Now this is not a team that likes to live by the three. They want to get to the basket. But this was a little overwhelming last night. Last night, the Spurs ended up taking 39 shots at the rim. 39. Pretty consistent throughout the whole night. They were 8 of 12 in the first quarter in the at the rim. Four of ni- or eight of nine in the or, sorry. Uh, wow, I just took off my glasses to be able to read something. It's really the end of the world for me. I think eight of nine in the second quarter, six of nine in the third quarter, and eight of ten in the fourth quarter. They took thirty nine of their shots at the rim last night. That's half their shots. You. Just stunning to me when I found out that our shot quality was the same as theirs. Because you cannot allow someone to get half their shots at the rim in the NBA. That Now, we play a style in which what we're trying to do is deny the three, and when you deny one or the other, this is the impact. Most teams in the league have decided to deny the rim, and then therefore... You get a bunch of threes. You, it, the league is spread out so much; it's almost impossible to do both. At this point, we're doing a masterful job of denying threes. We only allowed eighteen last night. We allowed the fewest in the league by a long shot. Therefore, you are susceptible to the rim. There's no question. You're also susceptible to some offensive rebounding issues. Thirty-nine shots at the rim because of that, and so because we only allowed sixteen threes, we do equate it out, right? So for, I can't really make the statement if you allow thirty-nine percent of your shots at the rim. If you allow the opponent take forty-seven percent of their shots at the rim, you're going to lose. Because that's not really true because if you're only allowing the opponent to get 20% of their shots as threes, that's the give and take we're taking every night. So I want to make sure that I'm not zeroing in on this lack of rim defense and lack of keeping people off the rim without some understanding. We forced 33% of their shots as mid-range shots. That's a lot. Our shot distribution was so much better than theirs last night that we actually equaled the playing field and then we just didn't make shots the way they did. So, I don't want to totally jump off the cliff on this one and be like, "Oh my gosh, they're allowed!" Like, they're, but that's a lot. There, there's, you'd like to have some happy medium, and moreover, watching the game, just visually watching, we just didn't deny dribble drive. We just did not deny these guys. It was just not enough defensive resistance. What is abundantly clear right now is, without Kelly Olynyk. And when Walker Kessler leaves the floor, we're really bad defensively. The numbers last night, and I think we have these about right, the final numbers last night, when Walker Kessler was on the floor, they were 16 of 35 shooting, which is not 
you know, we're not going to win awards for 16 of 35, but 16 to 35 is better than the fact that they were 32 of 43 otherwise. Yes. No. 32 of 53. It has to be. Yeah. 32 of 53. Sorry. 32 of 53. Other 52. 32. Wow. Let's see if we can get this right. 32 of 52. So they shot 32 of 52 from the field last night when Walker Kessler's off the floor. And that Walker Kessler laid on a bunch of rotations, laid out a few times, ticky-tack fouls, gets in foul trouble, and is knocked out of the game. But we end up allowing 62% shooting in the minutes where Walker Kessler's not on the floor. So we can go to the side that Walker... Will would love to play Walker Kessler more. Like, that that would be great. Everyone's aware of this. This is, like, I'm not groundbreaking here with something. Everyone's aware of this. Walker's got to be able to stay on the floor. Walker's got to be able to handle different matchups. Walker's a, fra- a rookie. It's fine. This is not, like, the end of the earth that Walker is struggling to f- totally figure this out. And he's got to get the rotation a little quicker, and then the dribble penetration has to be better so that Walker's not left out to die there. But the defense last night struggles when Walker leaves the floor and Vanderbilt is playing center. We struggle. And Markin actually plays center without Vanderbilt. We've actually been pretty good this year. I don't know how last night turned out, but we've been surprisingly good when Markin is at center this season. Um, he's a pretty good drop big at seven feet tall. It allows us to switch when we need to. They were pretty willing to go at Lowry on a dribble drive last night, which then without any other rim protection on the floor when Walker was off the floor was a little bit of a problem. You know, Pop has Pop's good, right? There's a kind of funny thing in the league. I don't know if it's actually at all true or not. There's a funny thing in the league where supposedly pupils never beat Pop. I don't know if that's actually true. Um, That's what... You know, you talk around the league, and actually people said to me before, like, oh, let's see if Will can go get this one. Uh, because pop, pupils never beat Pop. When Jared Vanderbilt is off the floor, Lowry Markinen is playing center. Our defensive rating is in the 87th percentile. It's pretty incredible considering the fact we're the 28th ranked defense in the NBA. When Walker Kessler is at center, to contrast that, and... Jared Vanderbilt's off the floor, so now he's playing with a Linux or he's playing with Markinen. Our defense is in the 86th percentile again. So those two combinations are actually pretty good right now for us. When we're playing that way. We just don't have we just haven't figured out entirely how to get that done all the time. But last night was a defensive letdown. That's the twenty seventh ranked offense in the league. Here's really, to some extent, just mathematically what happened last night. They're the 27th-ranked offense in the league at a 110. We're the third-ranked offense at a 117. They finished with a 120. So, in other words, their offense at 110 went up to 120 because our defense wasn't very good, and we're the 28th-ranked defense, so that's not stunning. You would hope that against the 27th-ranked defense, we'd keep it under our average. Our average is 116. Defensively, you'd hope we'd have a blow. We didn't. Their defensive rating is a 120. It's the worst in the NBA by far. And we didn't get there. 
We had our average offensive game against the worst defense in the league. So we actually had a little bit of a poor offensive game last night. And some of it's we're just not passing the basketball anymore. We're not moving it and we're not popping it the way we did earlier this year. So let's talk about that a little bit. Today's show is brought to you by my good friends over at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and in Linden. I got two guys going over to the Linden store this week. I got emails last night. And I love this when this happens because we got great guys. We got Jake over at the Linden store. We got Cameron at the Murray store. They're waiting to take care of you, give you the locked on VIP treatment. And last night, Jordan emailed me and Eric emailed me. They're both on a, <clears throat> a vehicle search. Eric, unfortunately, is, uh, I think, uh, no, Eric actually, uh, I think was looking for a car for his brother, if I remember correctly. And Jordan, unfortunately, he's got a Dodge Durango that's dying on him. He's got to get a new car. So he's, He's, he got caught in Vegas uh, with a broken down car. We've all told that story before, right? I mean, I, Jordan, no, really, I believed you when you emailed me that. I, I, belie- I believed you the whole broken down. Yeah, okay. Uh, anyway, Murdoch Hyundai, located in Linden and in Murray and in uh, Logan. They've got a great lineup of cars for you. We want to make sure we can take care of you. We've got the VIP treatment for all of you. So email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com so that we can take care of you and can get you on the best path. Uh, that we possibly can to get you the best car out there. Hyundai's great value for the dollar as well, all over at Murdoch Hyundai. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks has got uh, the uh, match for you that makes gives you this great opportunity, well, really, to get a 100% deposit match up to a $100 promo code with a promo code locked on. We, we, we've done the math on this before. I think you can figure this up. Up to $100, you get $100 back for free. How does it work? You pick two to six players, and whether they'll go score more or less than their prize picks projections, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus projections. Available prize picks offers projections on any sport you can watch. You name it. They've done it. Entries are made in 60 seconds or less. It's safe, fast, and easy withdrawals currently operational in over 30 states. So here's the deal. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com. Sign up. Play direct daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. If $72.50, it's $72.50. Don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. It's all at prizepicks.com. Promo code locked on. Thanks very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free. We are available on all podcasting apps. For your second listen, make sure you go grab Locked On Sports today. Also, Game to Game was really good today. Um, tell you that. Game to Game was super good. All right. Um, Chat room is open. I want to kind of run over there, see what people are having to say. Watching last night, it felt like people weren't closing out. And when they did, the foul would get called. You know, we had to be closing out. Brian, I don't disagree with you. We didn't have a great night last night. Um, we had to be closing out to some extent because, right, we're denying the three. So we're closing out and forcing the drive a little bit. We just got to do a better job of, of maintaining that. <clears throat> I'm too young to know, but how was the Stockton Malone when they were rookies? Oh, that's a great question, Lee, and I always appreciate that. The fact is, by the way, you have to be – like close to 45 years old at this point to actually remember, really remember Stockton and Malone. Um, and so I think that's a great question. I love that. Uh, you know, 19, like I am 52 uh, and I was 14 when Stockton debuted. 
So, and I was probably 20 when I wanted to trade Carl Malone for LaFonso Ellis, right? Like, like you know what? I mean, as a fan, right? So I was a huge jazz fan and crazy. Um, Stockton debuted in 1984. He did not start until his fourth year in the NBA. There was a guard named Ricky Green that was ahead of him in the process. And so John did not start until his fourth year in the NBA. The Jazz were actually pretty good. They had a veteran team. Malone came the next year, and Adrian Dantley was on the roster. Malone started off pretty well. By his second year, Malone's averaging 22. By his third year, Malone's averaging 28. Carl was a beast early. Now, the story you probably have heard about is free throw shooting. He went from 48 to 59 to 70% in a three-year span. Just kind of continually got better and better and better. Eventually worked up to about 79%. Carl was just unbelievable um, and, and was just outstanding. Uh, obviously, three-point was not part of his game. Game was different in that era. Uh, but that's a great question. And, you know, we also forget that they ever had bad nights. Uh, what is Kelly Olynyk's impact on rim defense and scoring? It's a good question. Let's do a little on-off fun stuff. Thank you to Cleaning the Glass, the website, for this. So, uh, first off, the players who have the biggest defensive impact on our roster, Rudy Gay, by far, has the biggest defensive impact. So, you know, you can decide what you want about. Walker Kessler's next at 8 points per 100 possessions. Rudy Gay's at 15. Lowry Markkinen is at minus 3. So we're three points better when Markkinen's on the floor. Alinek is right down the middle. He's about a one or 1.4 points worse defensively and 1.1 points better offensively when he's on the floor. Um, for whatever reason, Simone Fontecchio really comes out poorly in his limited time. And then Jared Vanderbilt is a plus 10 or 10 points worse defensively when Vanderbilt's on the floor than off the floor. Sexton is 5, Conley is 3, and Beasley's 1. So a lot of it has to do with who you're playing with. These numbers can be a little... Um, little uh, noisy, but I do like looking at opponent shooting frequency, which is I think what the what the question's coming. So Walker Kessler allows four percentage points fewer shots at the rim when he's when he's on the floor. We allow few four percent fewer shots at the rim when Walker Kessler's on the floor, which I think that's an interesting note. Like I'll take that as having some value. When Kelly Olynyk is on the floor, we're about even across the board defensively. Um, they don't get more threes. They don't get. They just kind of the same stuff. Now accuracy on whether people make shots, I actually think can get a little funky. So one of the reasons why Rudy Gay's numbers are so great is te- people are shooting seven percentage points less from three when Gay's on the floor than off floor. That to me is luck. The same thing with Fontecchio. Teams are shooting fourteen percentage points better from three when Fontecchio is on the floor. That's just bad luck. So Rudy Gay's having good luck. Otherwise. You can look it out. What's interesting is Walker Kessler, and this we had teams are shooting two and a half percentage points better from three when Walker Kessler's on the floor than when he's off. I think that's bad luck, not a lot of bad luck. I don't think there's a reason you can blame that on Walker. Teams are shooting six percentage points less well at the rim. Walker's beginning to have a defensive profile that's rather impressive. Um, he's got to stay on the floor. Another question from Brian. The Jazz purposely trying to slow things down and avoid fast play and transition after shots made. Feels like we rebound often and hold on to our team gets at least half court. Um, no, we're not. And uh, we're, we are not running much. We're now in transition 24% of all possessions. For as much as we talked about running, we have not run a great deal. Um, and I don't know. Why? Here's what also is happening. We're just not moving the ball. 
The fewest passes we threw in any game all year was against Washington, 234. Against Cleveland, before that, we threw 238, our third fewest of any game all season long. Um, Last night, against San Antonio, was 27th out of 36 games. So 27 out of 36. You Early in the year, overtime game against Minnesota is a little misleading. We're throwing 300 passes a game. New York, we threw three. In November, we threw 300 passes. Lakers, we threw 300 passes. New Orleans, in that was an overtime game, we threw 300 passes. Warriors, we threw 300 passes in December, we win. New Orleans, in December, we throw 300 passes, we win. Memphis, we throw 300 passes, we win. New Orleans, we throw 300 passes, we win. Denver, we throw 300 passes on opening night, we win. Po- passes leading to shots, so potential assists. We were in the 90 category with some level. Last night uh, against Washington, we do win, by the way. We had 82. Last night, we actually had a ton of passes leading to shots. So there's two different numbers here. Like potential assists, I like it means we're getting our shots off passes. 94 last night, super high. But we're not working the ball on both sides of the floor. And the Spurs, in both our scattering report from Alex Jensen pregame and Lamar Skeeter postgame, halftime, was that the Spurs break down if you use both sides of the floor. We just simply weren't doing that last night. So we didn't throw a lot of passes because what you're actually seeing in that 94 number is we got early looks and took them. Now, that's not always bad. So some of these numbers, like when we look at Walker Kessler, when we look at Lowry, look at all these numbers. That, as much as I love the numbers, let's be really honest about how kind of contextually flawed they can possibly be in a setup. And I think that's something we have to we have to be aware of. Is that so? We didn't throw passes last night, largely because we threw ninety four passes leading to shots, and those shots go up almost immediately. Well, then pretty hard to go complain about if they're good shots. And our shot quality was fine last night. We just didn't make shots. Uh, Dustin says, I feel like our help defense isn't there. Walker covers and no one is there to get the rebound. Do you think that help isn't coming because of the communication or something else? So this is true. This is like an interesting... I haven't talked to Will about this. I need to because I think you're 100% right on this. So we're seeing a lot of times where Walker Kessler comes over to make a play alter a shot, and then the rebound happens on the backside. So there's a few things on this. I think one is that other guys have to crash down and help. Particularly if Walker's cutting off your man, you're supposed to crash down and box out Walker's man. The second thing is because we defend the three-point shot so well, I think our guys might be out, spread out a little bit. And when they're spread out like that, then they have a f- longer way to come in for the rebounds, and they get caught in, are we trying to run and get out? Or are we trying to come back for the rebound? Where, where are we in this mix? And so I think that's a little bit of a tricky one. The trickiest one is, how is a team that against above 500 teams is 14-10? and 10? That John Schumann at NBA.com the other day had as... One of the teams with the best records against, I think we have the fourth or fifth best record against the top 12 teams in the league. At the same time, we've lost to Detroit, Houston, and San Antonio. Explain that, plus close game finishes uh, for you, including Rudy Gobert not finishing last night. Woo! That's 
All coming up as we continue here on Locked on Jazz. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at Bet Online. Bet Online giving you the best odds, news, and scores out there. You can get involved with the football rush, bowl game excitement that's all taking place, or you can just stay on your basketball. The Cowboys are playing the Tennessee Titans on Thursday football this week. The Cowboys, who are rolling, huge win last week, are a 10-point favorite. NBA tonight, Lakers go to Orlando, where Orlando's a 3.5-point favorite. They're playing pretty well. Philly's a 5-point favorite in Washington. Boston's a 14.5-point favorite at home against the Rockets. That's a big one. Clippers are a four-point dog in Toronto after their miraculous win last night. Memphis are an eight-point favorite over Phoenix. Boy, that was a great Denver-Phoenix game on Christmas Day. I hope you got to watch it. Um, Oklahoma City plays the Spurs tonight. They're a seven-point favorite at home uh, against the Spurs. Big Doc knocking the games. Uh, and Denver's at Sacramento. That'll be interesting. That's... Um, I should drive up there and go watch that one tonight. Uh, Denver's a four-point favorite. Go watch Jokic. I cannot stop watching Jokic. It's just a pleasure. It's all at betonline.net. That's betonline.net, where the game starts. Thanks very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. Game to game, your NBA recap of all things going on around the NBA. Feel free to go grab that. Um, it's on the Locked On NBA feed. I've also got a link up there for you uh, on that. All right. Uh, we talked about this all year long. I-, I do find it perplexing. Like, how have we lost to Detroit, Houston, San Antonio? Does that mean we suck? How are we 14-10 and 10 against above 500 teams and swept New Orleans? Does that mean we're great? I think what we're seeing in the league right now is there's less discrepancy amongst teams than we've ever had. There was a really interesting piece the other day on how closely bundled all the offenses are in the league right now. So the best offense in the league for a while was Boston, right? They were running away with it, and they still are better than everyone else at a 118.6. Then Denver is at a 117.8, and we're at 117.1. The worst offenses are like at 110.8, 110.3. It's it's close. The, the margin off the league average, league average is 113.6, and so we're about three and a half points off each one of these from 3 to 28. It's really small. It's a smaller discrepancy than we've had before in the league. So teams are just offensively at least bunched up closer together. The talent level is higher than it's ever been before as well. The shooting is better than it's ever been before. And so in turn, I think you do get these like discrepancies with the margin for us when we're playing New Orleans and maybe they're missing Brandon Ingram compared to playing San Antonio, Houston, Detroit, I give it are just not that big a difference. Just really is it, it is not a it is not a large difference between these two the between between this. Like there's just not and so it is I don't think it's crazy the idea that we have lost to the San Antonio Spurs have lost 15 of 19 coming in and are the 30th ranked defensive team. And at the same time, we've beat New Orleans. I think that's where the NBA is right now. It's crazy in the way that we're used to thinking about the NBA. There's no question about that. That that this is a new way to think about the NBA and, and get used to it and to try to understand it. But I I'm not convinced that it's it's strange for where we are. I think if we start running around the league, we're going to see those. You know, San Antonio beat Milwaukee earlier this year, um, and so. What does it mean? You know, our margin's not big. 
when we have a night where we don't make our shots, we have a night where we don't move the ball quite the way we're supposed to, when we have a night where we don't defend quite the way we're supposed to, I think we're susceptible to losing anyone. On the same night, if someone else is a little off and we're playing our game, I think we can beat anyone. And I think that's where the league is right now. I think that's that's a good deal um, of what of what's taking place. All right, let me uh, run through some. For those who are new to this, I've been watching along with Ron most of the time on the plane, or if at home, I do it on my own. Uh, watching the final about nine minutes of every close game this year to kind of see what's going on in the league, see if we can find some trends for you. So I've got a bunch. One of the trends we talked about the uh, back last time was that we're beginning to just see less and less plays. It actually is beginning to circle back. Luka Doncic, C.J. McConnell, Dame Lillard, all coming off the ball to the ball right now. Suddenly you're seeing people bring guys off the ball to the ball. Um, some doing it better than others. Portland had a really poor late game the other night, um, and they couldn't get Lou Dort off Dame Lillard. I think we talked about that. Uh, whereas Willie Green ran a fabulous set against Oklahoma City where McCollum comes off a pick, down he's starting kind of around the bottom of the key he comes up he gets a pick he then curls back gets one pick there Dort gets through it gets another pick as he curls toward the ball Dort gets through it third one is a handoff and Dort's now a step late because of those two picks and CJ McCollum rises up for three you got to have a pretty special talent to take that shot and make that shot but that's the kind of stuff and rather than just kind of running around the curl he really had CJ McCollum on a nice angle Willie Green does some really good stuff in in New Orleans um, with that. Last night, the big story, though, was that Rudy Gobert did not finish for Minnesota. Rudy Gobert, and I'll admit, Ron and I are watching it, and Rudy Gobert was like feckless. He's running around like he's lost, puppy, not sure where he is supposed to be and what he's, you know, and what, um, and who he's supposed to be, um, uh, Picking for and the rest, and and they're down 109-101. He's not having an impact offensively or defensively. And at the 522 mark, he goes out of the game, and Nas Reed comes in, and he only comes back in as a, a situational substitution. Uh, wants to get, to get a rebound and stays in for five seconds and then goes out again. So pretty wild to see that level of of talent in Rudy Gobert suddenly not playing and what they've committed to him late in games. That that was wild. Miami just plays so hard. They steal extra plays. They're ugly. I've talked about it all year. I just don't really believe in him. Tyler Hero is really an incredible shot maker. He made an unbelievable three late in this game that kind of cinched it. Um, but Orlando Robinson was their center last night with no Bam out of Bayou and no Jimmy Butler. And Kyle Lowry looks super old. And yet Miami still kind of finds a way to grab some of these games. Spolster runs great stuff, but Tyler Hero just makes plays. Tyler Hero's really good. He's just really, really good. Other games, we watched the Clippers uh, come from behind against Detroit last night. That was just a complete debacle by Detroit. Uh, the Clippers had cleared the bench last night, gone, basically called it, and then their bench unit, which is good, it's Nicholas Batum, Terrence Mann, and those guys, all worked their way back into that game. Here's some other notes. Uh, from games New York versus Chicago. Bulls were going at Julius Randle whenever they could. Bulls' go-to play was weird. They had Zach Levine at the top, and he would come off a, a Patrick Williams pick, and then Vucevic would come back to set another pick, but they weren't getting the pick, the first pick switched at all, so I don't even know why they were running it. 
They were just working themselves late into the shot clock and giving Levine almost no time to work. They do win this game because DeRozan goes straight down the barrel for a game winner. Um, R.J. Barrett was having a monster game, and the Bulls were soft doubling to make him get rid of it with Vucevic out at about 30 feet, which I can't imagine was a good idea. I thought the Bulls, I thought Billy Donovan really coached a strange game in this one, and he actually wins it. Uh, Oklahoma City versus New Orleans. New Orleans was without Ingram, without Zion, without Jonas, and without Nance, and they win. Oklahoma City does some str- it does something weird where they they come and rotate off the corner in rotation. Then New Orleans had Herb Jones just slashing for basket after basket on that. So if you're ever watching Oklahoma City late, we'll see whether that plays out. Um, uh, Trey Murphy the third made a bunch of really nice plays um, in that game as well. Jalen Williams, the rookie. Uh, I think the one out of Santa Clara is closing for OKC, showing some real signs. High pick and roll, drive, awesome burst. He got to the rim. He put both feet down. The defense caught up to him, but he's a great athlete in space. I think he'll learn that one. Josh Giddy is just such a box of chocolates. He is not a good shooter. He is so awesome some of the time. And then other nights when he does not have his shooting windows and he forces the drives and he had two massive turnovers in this year. Uh, in this game, Lou Dort was on CJ McCollum and uh, great pick play. I talked about New Orleans running to get CJ off the ball uh, for that one. Dallas Houston was super interesting. Uh, Jabari Smith is arriving the f- uh, pick out of Auburn. He had some really good plays, three balls, pull ups on the key play of the night, though. This is where, like you hear the phrase can't win with rookies. Key play of the night, Jabari Smith is guarding Luka. They run a double at Luka up at about 45 feet. Luka gets off the ball, and Jabari Smith goes back kind of instinctually into the middle of the paint, probably where he played most of his college defense. Dallas swings it back to Luka for a wide-open three. It's like, Jabari, it's Luka. You can't leave him. Like, just situationally, you got to know that. But on the other end, he's a rookie, and, you know, he's going to make those mistakes um, along the way. Houston's running a lot of their stuff through Sangoon in the post right now. Um, the other one, by the way, is that Houston did not double Doncic, and he had 50. And then the Lakers go and double Doncic, and they scored 51 and a quarter. So I, Dallas is not quite right. Tim Hardaway hurts them efficiently. They've got some other issues. They don't seem to have that zest they had last year with Boban and, and all that kind of energy. Maybe it's Christian Wood who's starting now and scoring a lot for them. Um, but I, I would say um, they – they just are virtually unstoppable uh, when Luca's on the floor because I don't. I, you can't guard Luca one on one, and then you can't double team. Uh, Kawhi Leonard looked great in the Clippers Philadelphia game. Harden and Bead two man game is just absurd. Harden one time holds the bounce through the defense, gets down the baseline, wraps it back to Embiid for laying. Another time, Harden engages the defense in the middle of the lane, so Embiid pops for a fourteen footer. I, I I don't know what you're supposed to do that. Then they inverted the pick and roll and ran Embiid running it off of Harden. Like it was crazy. Harden pops and Embiid roll takes the basket. The Sixers are really good. Um, Kawhi looked amazing in this game. Um, the Clippers' offense is clunky. The main play is for Kawhi Leonard or Paul George coming from a uh, from the key up off a Morris screen to the wing for the ball, and then they create action, just swing, swing, swing for threes. Not a lot of activity, very st- uh, kind of static. Um, and then the fact that you have Embiid covering the paint means that it was really hard for people to get Embiid. So it might be a little bit that Embiid made that very difficult um, more than anything else, but that, that was... Um, the look there. I don't remember if we talked about the Minnesota-Dallas game, but I will say Anthony Edwards just is absent on so many plays late in games where he's either supposed to rotate, supposed to cut, supposed to do something, and doesn't do them, that it's pretty amazing to me on the Minnesota end of things. All right, that's our late game watches. We'll continue to watch the trends. That's our jazz check. We'll get ready for the Warriors tomorrow. Thanks very much for tuning in Locked on Jazz. If you're part of the live audience today, super appreciate you joining us um, as well. 
And uh, glad to have you guys aboard. Thanks for everybody who jumped on live uh, to the show today. It will be posted as a podcast as well. Thanks very much. Have a great one. See you.